We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25 this morning. So whenever we read from the Gospels, uh, we stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. So if you're physically able, I'd like to invite you to join me uh, in standing as we read Luke 8, 22 through 25. I'm going to read from the NIV, the New International Version. Again, Luke 8, 22 through 25. Please follow along as I read aloud for us. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we simply ask this morning you would speak the truth of your word to our hearts today. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Please have a seat. You know, any one of us can feel confident in the Lord during the good times when things are going well. Some of us uh, can even trust him when life gets a little bit rough. But when the all-out storms of life hit us, oftentimes our faith is gone with the wind. You know the storms I'm talking about. The dad who promised to never leave walks out on the family. The school you had your heart set on sends you its final rejection letter. The grandparent you thought would always be there suddenly and unexpectedly passes away. The seemingly perfect guy or girl decides you're less than perfect and ends the relationship. It's in moments like these that we're all very quick to question God. We ask questions like this, where have you gone? God, don't you care? God, are you even there? Have you ever gone through a period of such doubting? I'm sure we all have. I believe that God allows storms to come into our lives for a reason. He knows that our faith can only grow in situations like these. If God were to withhold tests and trials from us, we would be doomed to a long life of spiritual immaturity. And while that fact doesn't make those trials, those tests, those storms any easier, it does make them more purposeful. Despite our pains and doubts, we have a deep assurance that God's plans will prevail. He doesn't test us to harm us. He tests us to strengthen us. And anyone who has come through a period of difficulty and has seen the growth that has resulted knows that perseverance is worth the effort. Our passage here in Luke 8 records an important nature miracle. This story has important theological overtones simply because of where it occurs, in deep waters. We can see in the Bible that the sea or the deep is an important theological symbol. It's a symbol of destruction. Just as smoke is representative of God's presence in the Old Testament, 
so the sea or the deep is representative of doom or death or destruction. Almost every time we come across this image in scripture, it not only depicts a physical condition, but a spiritual reality as well. We see the symbol in the flood of Genesis 6. Noah builds an ark to save his family from the destructive waters of judgment. We see it in Jonah, where the sea rages as discipline against Jonah's disobedience. And we see it often, many times, in the Psalms, where the writer cries out in his difficulty for God to not let him go down to destruction. Now what's interesting is that the the Jews believed very strongly that if something bad happened to someone, it was because of sin in their life. They must have done something wrong. They must have committed some kind of sin. If a person was stricken with an illness, it reflected on some sort of sin that must have been committed by that person. If anyone suffered financial loss, it was sin-related. If one's children grew up to live lives full of evil and destruction, it was because of sin in that family. That is what the Jews believed. That is how they thought. There are two primary things that I want to say this morning, and the first one is this. All problems in life are not related to sin. All problems in life are not related to sin. When we get into a storm of life, the first question we often ask ourselves is, how how did I get here? How how, how did I end up here? So, So let's take a look at this passage again. How did the disciples get to where they ended up? This is important. What great wrong did they commit that they found themselves in danger? Look at verse 22. I'm going to read it again. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. The truth of the matter is they committed no wrong. They were, in fact, simply obeying Jesus' instruction. And following Jesus' instruction took them right into the eye of the storm. And more importantly, the plan had a revealed purpose. Jesus told them what his intent was, to get his disciples to the other shore. He he didn't say, let's go out for a trip on the lake. He said, let's go to the other side. They had no need to worry when they were with him. They were obeying him. He had revealed to them his plan, his goal, to be on the other side of the lake. So, So when the disciples received their faith exam, if you will, They were following the direction of Christ. I mean, may may it be the case that we receive our faith exams when we're simply following the direction of Christ. And remember that when the disciples were asked of Jesus to go to the other side, they they didn't hesitate. They didn't say, well, let let me think about this. They, They launched out an immediate obedient response. Let's go. Jump in the boat, we're off. This reminds us that following Christ requires simple steps of obedience. Simple steps of obedience. And this brings me to the second primary thing I want to say this morning, which is this. Following Jesus may take you into some stormy situations. That may be the case. If you're committed to following Christ, you may find yourself in stormy situations. Two reasons why that happens. Number one, The enemy seeks to swamp the boat that you're in. The devil's going to try as hard as he can to swamp the boat that you're in. When you commit to doing the will of God, the enemy is going to try to do everything he can to distract you from the work of God. He's not going to appear in a puff of smoke right in front of you, 
but he will stir up trouble around you. He will stir up circumstances, people, influence to try to get you to stumble, to try to make your life uncomfortable or even miserable. When you set your heart on doing God's will, look for some of these things to happen. I'm sure some of you can, can testify to these happening in your own life. Number one, people will tell lies about you. Again, the devil is the father of lies. Number two, people around you will attempt to provoke arguments and fights and stir up trouble. Number three, others you love, family, friends, fellow Christians will fall into sin. Number four, your own past and already forgiven sins will come back and become an issue, an area of struggle for you again. Look for those things to happen when you're committed to doing the Lord's will. The enemy is trying to swamp the boat that you're in. A second reason the storms of life come about is because God seeks to demonstrate his own faithfulness and once again to strengthen our own faith, to strengthen your personal faith. Jesus led the disciples into the boat. He knew the storm was coming. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> he knew they were going to find themselves in the middle of this fierce storm. He led them there with the very purpose of strengthening their faith. It wasn't his intent to show off or demonstrate how much more he could do than they could. Here he is developing them. Uh, one of the commentaries I read, uh, Vern McClellan, who's a pastor and an author as well, he, he says this, the Lord doesn't take us into deep water to drown us, but to develop us. A smooth boat ride looks entirely different when the winds and the waves come down on it. The, the Greek word here that's translated storm in this passage, it implies a sudden and violent gust of wind. S storms on this lake, the Sea of Galilee, are often described as sudden and violent, caused by the, the cold air that comes down the mountainside that mixes into the heated depression of the lake. Violent storms, very frequent, happen all the time. So the disciples are terrified, knowing that the boat could possibly be capsized and they might find themselves literally in deep water. What is it about deep water that makes us fearful? Well, if you can't swim, I understand the fear there. But deep water, what is it about deep water that makes us afraid? Well, number one, there's no air. You, you, you can't breathe when you're underwater. And for us as humans, that, that's, that's kind of a problem. That, that's a deal breaker. Number two, there's disorientation. <coughs> Excuse me. There's disorientation. You're, 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 you're lost. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's around you. There could be seasickness. And number four, this might be the scariest of all, the loss of our own control, losing control. So here in the path of obedient discipleship, the disciples find themselves in danger. The strong winds cause the boat to begin filling with water and the disciples are in jeopardy. They're in danger and they know it. There was no solid ground anywhere near them. They felt foolish, fearful, and doomed to destruction in the place where Jesus had led them. Hold that thought. I'm a little more dry than I anticipated. I apologize. Again, the disciples are feeling doomed to destruction in the place where Jesus had led them. An important lesson to learn here 
Danger and difficulty is not, an all, not at all an indicator of being outside of the will of God. Sometimes we can be in the center of the will of God and we'll be faced with some dangerous, difficult situations. That's just part of the deal. Remember, the disciples obediently followed Jesus into the storm. And in the midst of the storm, someone had the presence of mind to go to the master. Someone had the presence of mind to go to Jesus in the middle of that storm. That, another great lesson for us right there. In the storms of life, it's always wise to turn to Jesus, to go to him, turn to the master. We see it in verse 24. They went to the Savior for deliverance. They called for Jesus to save them. These are experienced fishermen who call out to a carpenter for help on the sea. Interesting. And that carpenter is fast asleep. In the middle of the fierce storm, Jesus is fast asleep. Shouldn't that fact alone tell us all we need to know about Jesus? He's got this. Everything's under control. It's going to be okay. He's in charge. <coughs> Thank you, Aaron. Jesus is in control. Everything's going to be okay. Sure enough, he arises, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and all of a sudden, there is a great calm. And then he asks them, where is your faith? Notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke them for disturbing his nap, but for their weak faith. It was not wrong to ask Jesus for help. It was wrong not to have faith in the midst of the storm. So, something in their response showed a lack of faith. What, what was it? Were they, were they not safe as long as he was in the boat with them? Again, they were traveling in obedience to him. Were they not safe as long as they were doing what he commanded? Why did he have to point out their lack of faith? Didn't their call to him basically amount to a prayer? I mean, shouldn't we call out to God? Shouldn't we pray to God in the midst of, of a storm? What, what, what was it they should have done? How should they have responded? Quick aside here, story to help illustrate this point. Let me tell you about Mike and Sue. So M Mike and Sue um, were married many years, but they had this bad habit Sue, Sue would, would often interrupt Mike when he was in the middle of, of one of these tasks. He, Mike would get really into these projects, and he'd spend hours in his garage uh, working on these projects, and he could not stand being interrupted. He hated to be interrupted. And Sue, there, something would always happen in the house, and Sue would come out to the garage and interrupt Mike, and he'd be like, I'm in the middle of this. Don't interrupt me. And he'd get all upset, and they would argue and fight. It, it was not a pretty scene. So they came to an agreement. Mike and Sue came to an agreement that when Mike was in the middle of one of these projects, Sue would just come stand by the garage door and would just wait silently by, waiting for Mike to give her the nod that it was okay to be interrupted. So sure enough, uh, Mike's out in the garage one day working on one of these projects. He's really focused and intent. 
Sue, wanting to honor their agreement, comes to the garage door and just stands quietly by, just kind of waiting for Mike to let her know it's okay for him to be interrupted. After about 10 minutes, Mike puts his things down and says, yes, Sue, what is it? Sue says, Mike, the house is on fire. I think Sue might have been able to break their agreement for, for that one. There are times um, when we feel justified in being overly excited, even a bit panicked. And when we read this account of the calming of the storm, we are bothered by the fact, I am bothered by the fact, that Jesus rebukes the disciples for panicking in a life-threatening situation. I have to ask, how do you approach Jesus to awaken him without setting your faith aside? How do you do that? What does that look like? After being rebuked for a lack of faith, what should the disciples have done differently? Would you, would you approach Jesus like Sue came to Mike? Just kind of wait till he wakes up from his nap. Oh, by the way, we're about to drown. I don't know how you do that. Obviously, there was something about the way in which the disciples came to Jesus that, w- that was less than trusting. Something in their behavior indicated that they were trusting in something other than him. It was filled with panic, misunderstanding, near demand. In other words, it was self-oriented. Their faith was placed in their attempts to get him to do what they wanted. So think about that for a minute. Their faith was placed in their attempts to get him to do for them what they wanted. How many of us have been guilty of that over the years? I know I have. Self-oriented faith isn't really faith at all. Their belief doubted his ability to do what was best, therefore they were fearful. They were fearful, they were afraid. You know, it's, e- it's easy for us to be hard on the disciples, although I have no confidence I would have responded any differently. But, it, but it's easy for us to be hard on the disciples, but yet I have to point out that there is value in even a little bit of faith. The disciples were asked where their faith was. They were also told it was little. Weak was the word Jesus used. They were told their faith was weak, small enough that it was as though they had none. Yet, it was enough faith to come to Jesus and ask for his help. When it came right down to it, that little trust was in Jesus, and it was enough to rescue them in the middle of that storm. So, so how should we respond in life storms? How, how, how do we respond when the storms of life hit? Another story here to hopefully illustrate the point. So there, there's a, a story told years ago of a small town in which uh, there were no liquor stores. And so it was decided there was going to be um, a nightclub built right on the downtown Main Street area. And um, members of one of the churches in that area were so upset. They, they were so upset about this nightclub being built downtown, they decided to, to conduct these all-night prayer, prayer gatherings where they prayed that the Lord would, quote-unquote, burn down that den of iniquity. Interestingly enough, a few weeks after that establishment was built, lightning struck the building and it burned to the ground. The tavern owner hired a lawyer to sue the church 
claiming their prayers caused the damages and caused the loss. Of course, the church hired a lawyer (laughs) to fight those claims. And the judge ultimately declared, after much deliberation, he said, wherever the guilt may lie, it's the court's belief that the tavern owner is the one who really believes in prayer while the church members do not. Interesting. We, we laugh at that story, but you know, I think it does illustrate um, how faithless we can sometimes be in bringing our prayer concerns to God. Again, how should you approach Jesus in a storm of life without setting your faith aside? How do you approach God in the middle of a storm of life? Mark this down. Following Jesus will take you into stormy situations. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You will find yourself at some point surrounded by discomfort, anger, scary circumstances, danger. Do not abandon ship. Do not abandon ship. Remember who is in the boat with you. Remember that Jesus is in the boat with you. Don't don't be surprised that what starts out as a smooth boat ride has some strong winds and some giant waves in it, and it gets a little rough. That's going to happen. But when those strong winds and those giant waves show up, that is not the time to put put distance between yourself and God. That is the time to run to him, to close the gap, to turn to the master in the midst of the storm. When we find ourselves in a storm of life, we need to remember to cry out to the Father. To cry out is to assume that there is a God who cares and who not only cares, but acts as well. As the band is coming forward to lead us in our closing song, I'm gonna read from Psalm 107. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 107. They see the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end, but then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. I love that verse 29. He stilled the storm to a whisper. When we find ourselves in the middle of a storm of life, turn to the master, run to him, and he will still the storm to whisper. Would you receive the benediction this morning from 1 Peter 5? And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power and glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.